Tienes mucho en tus manos. Pero con solo mover un dedo puedes dar marcha atrás con Pro Trailer Backup Assist disponible. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Ya sea que estés trabajando al máximo o divirtiéndote al máximo. Esta camioneta te respalda porque está hecha para ser una parte indispensable de tu equipo. Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. Aloha mamá. Sorry por responder hasta ahora. Estuve toda la tarde con mi unidad arreglando un helicóptero Black Hawk. Hawái es increíble. Luego te cuento más. Te quiero. Be all you can be. Visitando goarmy.com diagonal español. Univision Audio. Tonight, our ABC7 Eye team is looking inside the crime of sex trafficking and sharing stories of survival. Authorities are working side by side with advocates trying to stop the cycle of the sex trafficking trade. October marks National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Most recently, we've seen domestic violence cases among celebrities and even professional athletes. But just like the rich and famous, many domestic violence abusers still get off the hook because their victims are too afraid to ask for help. But here in the United States, some 34,000 immigrants are being held in detention centers. Many have family here, but they still face deportation. VOA's Jerome Sokolovsky went to one of the country's largest detention centers where critics who want to see it closed are trying to help the detainees inside. Sex trafficking, domestic abuse, immigration issues, and sexual assault. Does that seem too much for just one person to live throughout their life? Well, this is Tessa's story. So they handcuffed me, they let me out of the building, and then I was in three different immigration jails. And, and I found out that they don't even treat you like you're human. Like all those things they say in the news, it is actually true. Hi guys, here to another episode of In Our Words. This is Amber Gutierrez, your host, and today's guest is an amazing woman who is a warrior, has survived an attack of a sex trafficker, domestic violence, and had a crazy experience with immigration. Tessa Lena is a performing artist, a writer, who has been featuring a documentary about her adventures, and in Douglas Rushkoff, Tim Human. Welcome, Tessa. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Ambra. This is such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so you're from Moscow, right? Uh, yes. Born Great. and raised in Moscow. Nice. I really wanted to know a lot about you. I wanted to hear a little bit about your early life. How did you get into music? How did you develop this passion that, that you have? Well, I think music found me also... In Moscow, well, in Russia, overall, it was a very prestigious thing to teach kids music. So my parents sent me to a music school when I was five. And I really wanted to play the violin. One of the teachers said, oh, little girl, what instrument do you want to play? I said, violin. And they immediately put me in a piano class. <laughs> so <laughs> no free will You wanted whatsoever. to do violin and you got into <laughs> piano. Well, it was like pretty close. Uh, same size of uh, instruments. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then uh, you got into conservatories, right? And you studied pretty much all your life. Uh, well, I played at the conservatories. I composed my own compositions and I performed at conservatories a few times. Wow, great. So it happened that you left Russia then. Mm -hmm. You started to travel. 
And uh, you ended up to China at first? Or? Yeah, I did some research in Tibet. And I, I've been to China a couple of times. And then I did research in music and linguistics. I also ran a restaurant in Tibet to make a little bit of money on the side. Oh, interesting. So you really went all around. Mm-hmm. And uh, something bad happened when you got to China. What made you decide to go to China? And then what happened to you when, when you got there? Uh, well, I was in Tibet doing research, and then I wanted to go to Hong Kong, basically, to renew my visa. And on the way from Tibet to Hong Kong, I was attacked by a sex trafficker. And that was, I think, the first dramatic adventure, and I was not really ready for that. So the guy told me that he would help me to buy a train ticket, and I felt completely not alarmed for some reason. So he threw me in a car... And then I still didn't think that something strange was happening because I felt safe. And at some point he had his hands on my throat and he said in English, the first thing he said in English, I love you. And I thought I was going to die because that's, you know, something like that usually happens before you die. And you read about it in newspapers. And the most memorable thing is that I wasn't scared at all. It didn't feel abnormal. It felt like, oh, this is how it happens. How did you meet him? He approached me when I was hanging out around the train station. And I thought it would be something like what they did in the Soviet Union, where they would sell something to a foreigner at a high price, but I felt safe, which was not very intelligent of me. And my Chinese was not that great. I mean, I could talk, but at some point when I realized something strange was happening and I tried to talk to the people, but they wouldn't talk. They wouldn't talk to me. And then he would tell them something. Later on, my theory is he told them that I was a prostitute because that's what my friends who are familiar with the, with the culture, with that area, most likely he told them that and maybe he was mobbed up so they would not really want to mess with him and they just let it be. And so after he had, he had his hands on my throat and I screamed and then he didn't kill me, he just took took my stuff, he took all of my money, my passport, all of a sudden there was a bunch of people There was an entire village full of people, and he started beating me up. That's when I got scared. And some of them were laughing. And it was was amazing, because there was this beautiful cornfield, like stunning nature. And he's beating me up, and all those people, they're laughing. And I even, I spotted a woman in the crowd who had kind of a compassionate expression on her face. And I said in my bad Chinese, I said, Mama, help me, you know, do something. And she said, Daughter, go with him. And... I tried to pretend that I wasn't scared. I was very, very, very scared on the inside. But I tried to talk back at him and kind of be cool. And then he led me somewhere. Then we were in a town street at a bus stop and he was beating me up again. And what I remember, I was crawling on the ground. I couldn't breathe because he hit me in the stomach. So my breath stopped and I had mud in my mouth and all that. And again, there were people. It wasn't an empty street. And they just let it happen. So... Then he threw me in a truck, and I looked at his face, and it wasn't looking good at all. And then I just jumped out on an autopilot when the truck stopped. So that's how I was saved. At that point, I think it was outside of his area, and I was good. Luckily, after all that happened, I met a friend who I met in Tibet. His name is Rob Schwartz. I'm forever grateful to him because he babysat me for a few days after that and he really, really helped me. That that was 
I I don't know what it, what what I would have done if I didn't get his help. I wasn't really thinking much at the time. I was just trying to Survive. pretend. Yeah, I was trying to pretend that I wasn't scared. But I experienced complete dehumanization for the first time back then because can you imagine a village full of people and then like a young woman is getting beat up and they don't care because she looks different or she's from a different ethnicity or different culture or whatever he told them it's so how did you manage to recover from that trauma like what did you do then at that point i got out of china and i never came back and i even left all of my research But comparing to other things that happened later, that was the least traumatizing because it was very brief. It didn't really last a long time. It was shocking. But then because I was surrounded by friends when I came back home and you know, friends and family. And after you left from there, did you kept moving? And you kept moving and you ended up to United States. Yeah, and I came to the States after that. And I really wanted to continue my research in Tibetan language and music. But then I discovered that in the United States, you really need money. <laughs> you ended up then meeting someone and getting married. Yes, I met a guy at a subway stop in Chicago. I lived in Chicago back then. And that was probably the least intelligent thing that I did in my life ever was marrying him because when I just met him I was not impressed at all because I was used to artsy circles and all those things and he was very different psychologically just a completely different person but he was so nice to me and eventually he really got into my soul and made me fall in love with him he was very good looking and tall and he was very kind and everybody envied me because you know he was an attorney he was this and that and you fell in love i fell in love i mean i was if if i was listening to my senses because you know when you just met somebody and you know it's not your thing like one of those i knew it wasn't my thing but then we were dating and He convinced me to to move in with him, to marry him. And the moment we got married, everything changed. He became abusive, really, really, really badly abusive. And then I remember it was New Year's Eve and I was cutting tomatoes to prepare, to prepare the New Year's dinner or whatever I was doing. And then he started really nagging at me and I objected and the next thing I knew he was dragging me by the legs down the stairs and he ordered me to get out and just to leave the house into the New Year's Eve so it was violent and strange and my brain refused to process it because for I knew how this, long were you married to him uh at that point a couple of months but I mean things got weird pretty much the day we got married but that was the first heavily violent physical thing where my my brain refused to switch from knowing him as somebody who cared for me was kind to this guy who is just my enemy and so i packed my things i went into the new year's eve to to stay at the hotel but he called me back right away and he said no 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 i'm so sorry i love you i don't know what got into me you know the usual they what did you do that yes And from that point, it was a nightmare. It was physically violent. He would not let me sleep for, you know, night after night. You just, 
like shake the bed or shake the blanket and do those things so I'm completely sleep deprived and I felt so alone and so isolated and I was mostly really really ashamed and embarrassed because prior to that I had a perfectly normal life and I was you know top schools top grades I'm cool everybody likes me that kind of thing and all of a sudden I'm in this situation that feels like a prison and I'm embarrassed to tell people. I am. I was even embarrassed to tell my family because on the outside I was in America and I had this husband and you know it's it's nice and I have this nice facade of a life. On the inside I was dead. I just I just wanted to not exist. How did you manage to get out from that situation? I was helped by a friend. I had a coworker, Maria, and. At some point when I had to tell somebody, I told her, and she is Ukrainian and I'm Russian, so there was this this bond. And I told her and she pretty much just grabbed me, it got me out of this situation. So the next time when my ex-husband ordered me to leave, she just said, okay, you move in with me, you sleep on my couch. And then when he ordered me back, she didn't let me. And... That was you saying ordering, like what was his approach with you? Like he was really acting like he was your you he owned you. Pretty much. Like but and another thing that happened that before I met him I had I found a job that was sponsoring my green card and everything and I was extremely proud that I you know, right away took care care of everything. I was independent and but then he convinced me to get rid of the job. And he said, we're getting married, doesn't matter. So I was so dependent on him with immigration. Him. Mm-hmm. And he was constantly blackmailing me. He was saying, okay, you, you don't do what I tell you to do. You're in trouble. That's a typical move uh-huh. from somebody that is yep. abusive and try to control someone. And then he raped me at some point. It was after we split, after we were separated. So it was not pretty at all. And then because he had that situation of power, he tried to to deport you? Yes. uh, I was, at that point, not living with him anymore. I moved out of my friend's house. I got my own apartment. And I was living a relatively normal life if I don't count his frantic phone calls. Actually, at some point, I I had a phone. I broke it because I couldn't take... I was so stressed with his phone calls. But then he started really threatening me. He was saying, okay, if you don't come back to me, something horrible is going to happen and you have to pledge allegiance to this country. You have to tell me that this country is the best in the world or else something else, something really horrible is going to happen to you. And then he went to Homeland Security or somewhere and he said that I was anti-American and probably Russian spy. And that's crazy. And nobody checked a thing. So... All, all I knew was that four agents with guns showed up at my apartment, arrested me, and I was living in a posh high-rise building down, uh, uh, looking down the Chicago River. So I was not having a bad life on the surface, right? And so they handcuffed me, they led me out of the building, and then I was in three different immigration jails. And that was... How long did you spend into jail? Uh, about a month. And I found out that they don't even treat you like you're human. Like, all those things they say in the news, it is actually true. Because I remember at some point I was handcuffed to two very young Chinese girls. 
and we were in a car, in the back of a car, and the girls were crying at the top of their lungs. They were really scared. And I was still trying to play cool, but I mean, I was really scared too. But so these girl, girls handcuffed to me. They're crying and they're trying to drive in a way that our bodies hit the car. So exactly what they say in papers, right? So the heads are hitting the car and the girls are screaming. And the driver says, I hate those Chinese people. Why they even come here? Then did you manage to get out from jail and what happened? Again, it was my friends. And to your point, I think it is extremely important to seek help. Because I remember how isolated I felt. And I felt like nobody would help me. He put you in that situation, He put me in that situation. But you know how it works when you're in an abusive relationship. So this person is your enemy. At At the same time, that person is your only friend. They kind of put you this mind frame that you're not good for anybody. They're the only ones who you can rely on. And that's not true at all. But they do that. Abusive people do they that. They manipulate you into mm-hmm. under- thinking that you don't have any other way out. Yeah, they make you feel like you're no good. I remember actually when I was still with him, I was, I was afraid, and that is that is literal. That is not an exaggeration. I was afraid to go to a grocery store and buy juice or fruit because I thought I would not be able to find the right product. That I would buy something wrong and I would come back and he would scold me because I'm just no good at all. So going back to how I got out, again, I was lucky to have great friends. I had more friends that, than I knew I had. My co-workers who I worked back then, my friends in the Russian community, they got together, they hired an amazing immigration lawyer in Chicago, and he got me out on bail initially. So after he got me out on bail, I had several years worth of immigration courts and eventually I won. So the immigration judge ruled in my favor and they made it official that yes, the arrest was the result of domestic abuse and there was nothing wrong with me. But it was definitely a struggle. After um, everything went good into your side, have you ever thought of suing your ex or the government for treating you in that way? When that ordeal was over, I was extremely exhausted. And this is what people ask me sometimes. They they say, why didn't you sue? And I actually heard of similar cases where people did sue the government and they won. But I was so exhausted and so tired and frankly so broke after paying the lawyer that I just decided to move on and focus on bettering my life, which, which is what I did. And uh, it is my understanding that you had a humiliating training situation with an artist and right non-profit. There was a Me Too situation a couple of years ago that is much, much, much milder than all the other adventures that we've been talking about. But there was a lesson there. So there was a situation of corruption at a non-profit where I volunteered. And... Corruption slash me too, it was very sleazy. And it was extremely humiliating to me because at some point I brought it up and nobody listened as it usually goes. And I just cried and I decided to to move on completely and just not to deal with it because the movement itself is very important. So I didn't want to really compromise it at all. And I still do think it's very important. So, well, let's say that 
is a little bit spread out that so many people are just trying to grab what they can from mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. I think I know what you mean. And I think that camaraderie is the most important because what happened with my situation over there. So I walked out of it. I decided to just, you know, mind my own business. Then a year later, I was contacted by other women who were dealing with the same situation. Mm -hmm. And so the guy didn't stop, obviously. And so we got together and... You know, we spoke he publicly, and on that day, he was forced to leave the organization. And and I felt like, you know, justice found its time. Mm -hmm. So it took a year or a little bit longer. But you but fought yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You helped other women. You stopped mm -hmm. somebody. That's like what the Me Too is about. Not thinking of only yourself. It's a collective uh, good and a change of the future. So um, tell me a little bit more about these things of helping others. What are you doing to motivate others? Part of speaking about your story, of course. Are you working with non-profit right now? Or like are you doing something active that would, you know, give sort of like help into knowing what to do in those situations? Yeah, I think uh, helping here is the most important thing because... I believe that we go through all those experiences to become stronger and to spread the love because, well, staying angry doesn't help. It's very understandable, but it doesn't help. So I started this organization called Vulnerable Win, and it's about spreading the message of love, and it's about talking to people who don't agree with you and trying to see a fellow human in different situations. And I think that in our culture, especially with digital devices and all the trends that are happening, a lot of people feel extra isolated. And so we're buried in our phones and all sorts of horror come at us from our screens and we feel like it's just us. So everybody else is having a glamorous life and it's just, you know, that individual person who is in a strange situation or an abusive situation or confused or lonely or unloved. And I think it is so common to feel that. And even abusive situations are not that uncommon at all. So talking to fellow humans and looking for help is something we can't deal without. Because human beings are not individualistic creatures. So in what I do, I really try to reach out and make it very loud and clear that absolutely anybody can find oneself on the receiving end of tremendous cruelty and there's nothing embarrassing about it nothing shame shameful about it because what happened to me with all those crazy stories i would never imagine anything like that happen if when i was a teenager somebody told me you would go through this and that and that i was in no way i'm way too cool i'm way too smart i'm way too loved by everybody that's not possible and yet there I was, treated like an animal and feeling like an animal. And I think it's extremely important to understand that that might be part of the human experience, but the only reason it exists is so that we can bond and seek help and get out as fast as possible. There's no reason to stay in that. So you're speaking um, a little bit negative about the situation of right now that we have with social media or devices as as something that would divide. But I feel that if used in the right way, you could actually get more connected, more, you know, in a situation, for example, where right now, if someone that is a victim of domestic violence would listen for this podcast, maybe 
would try to reach out to us and ask for help or reach out to you and, you know, find or ask for what to do. You know oh, that, I mean? is, like, that is absolutely true. I agree with that. Something positive. Oh, social media is neutral and the technology is neutral. People can use it for good or for bad. That like is everything. absolutely true, yeah. yeah. And then you um, created um, an album named Testified Robots. Can you tell a little bit the story behind it? Uh, the album is about the experience of being human and staying human in the realm of digital technology. And the robots I'm referring to are not really physical robots. They're not the machines. They're people who become like robots because they try to follow algorithms and formulas instead of going with the heart and trying to find the truth internally. Nice. And where can we find this? Uh, well, everywhere. It's on my website and it's on you know digital stores everywhere. That's great. And another thing, um, what advice would you give to immigrants here in in the U.S. right now? They're going through not your similar situation that happened, but processing all of those long documents and going to court and then trying to, you know, like place mm -hmm. themselves into here. Well, I have a practical advice and an emotional advice. The practical advice is... I think it is extremely important to find a lawyer, even sometimes they're free lawyers, they're organizations, especially in New York, who help immigrants. So it's very important to be careful and, you know, depending on the situation, to talk to people who are somewhat vetted. But seeking help from lawyers, I think, is critical because, you know, the legal system is complicated. And if you don't know it, you might be entitled to everything in the world. But if you don't know how to avoid it, then it's it's difficult. And... On the emotional side of things, I think it is extremely important to remind yourself daily that you are not an animal and you are not worthless and your human value is absolutely beautiful and the world needs you. No matter what they say, no matter if they tell you you're worthless, you're dirty, you're a second-class citizen, it's not true. It is simply just abuse and that should be absolutely ignored. And so people, where can they find you? Do you have any social media, as you were saying, mm -hmm. a website? Well, I have several websites. One is tessafightsrobots.com and then the other one is for my music. It's tessamakeslove.com and with social media, I mostly hang around Twitter these days <laughs> and my handle is tessamakeslove. Great. So if whoever wanted to reach out to Tessa and ask her some advice on what to do with their own stories or even just to like uh, get a new friend, you could reach out to through those um, handlers. And if you wanted to share your story with us uh, to In Our Words, you can write us an email into In Our Words at univision.net. And I'll be here to read, listen, and to hopefully interview you and to your story to inspire others. And um, hopefully I'll see you soon. And thank you, Tessa, so much for being here. And tell your story it was very inspiring. Thank you. You are a very inspiring person too. And so let's so try much. to change yes. the world together. <laughs> yes. Bye. Aloha, mamá. ¿Dónde andas? <laughs> Seguro de compras. Tengo mucho que contarte. Hawái es increíble. He estado de un lado a otro comunidad. Todos son súper talentosos. Ya reparamos otro helicóptero Blackhawk y oficialmente formamos nuestro equipo de fútbol. 
Para la próxima te cuento cómo voy con el surf y me cuentas qué te pareció el podcast que te compartí. ¿Ok? Te quiero mucho. Be all you can be. Visitando goarmy.com diagonal español. Boost Mobile tiene una gran oferta para que aproveches tu reembolso de impuestos al máximo y te mantengas conectado. Al cambiarte a Boost, recibe un 50% de descuento en tu primer mes de datos ilimitados. O, con un plan ilimitado de 40 dólares, llévate un Samsung Galaxy A15 5G por $39.99. Obtén los mejores teléfonos en las redes 5G más grandes del país. Con Boost Mobile, cambiarse es fácil. Solo visita BoostMobile.com. Boost Mobile, sin miedo al éxito. Para clientes nuevos y solamente en línea, requiere Arobay. 50% de descuento en el primer mes requiere un plan de $25 al mes. Aplican otras restricciones. Visita BoostMobile.com. Punto com para detalles.